Hi, this is Dr. Russ Kennedy, and welcome to the Anxiety Rx podcast, where we talk about everything new in healing anxiety. So stay with us. Hey, thanks for joining me here. I'm going to talk today about what I call jabs judgment, abandonment, blame, and shame. And these are the things that we do to ourselves when we are younger, and it carries on. We keep going with these things for the rest of our lives. If we don't know them, we don't see them, we don't choose to see them, we don't become aware of them, they just wind up being this internal chatter, internal critic, whatever you want to call it. And I call it jabs, taking jabs at yourself, which is judgment, self-judgment, abandonment, or alienation, self-alienation, blame, self-blame, huge, and self-shame, which is probably the most toxic out of all of them, is the self-shame. And just talking about shame for a moment, you know, there's nothing you've done that hasn't been done a million times before you and will again be done a million times after you. You know, whether you cheated on your spouse or cheated on your taxes or whatever it is, like we we shame ourselves for these things and, and we forget that we were born innocent. We were born innocent. And the reason why we adopt some of these maladaptive coping strategies and, and taking jabs at ourselves is one of them is a way to explain some of that alarm, and I was talking about alarm in the last episode, explain some of that alarm in our system, because that alarm in our system gets created by us, by the events of our lives. And typically what will happen is that when we're younger, we'll experience a trauma that's too much for our little minds to bear, and we'll blame ourselves for it. That's what happens. If you're in a household and something's going down in the hood, shit's going down in the household, as a child, you will blame yourself. There's a quote that says, well, if you abuse, abandon, or neglect a child, they don't stop loving them, the parent. They stop loving themselves. And then when we stop loving ourselves, we start creating alarm in our system. You know, if you, there is only love and fear. That's it. There's only love and fear. And if you don't allow yourself love, you don't allow yourself love and compassion, self-compassion, self-love, whatever you want to call it, your life is going to start getting filled up with fear. That's just the way the mechanics of it work. And if you don't see that you're judging, abandoning, blaming, and shaming yourself, you're basically going to squeeze the life out of life. And typically what happens is we get this trauma called uh, that I call alarm. It gets put in our system, and it gets put in our body. For me, it's in my solar plexus there, right where my ribs meet. And it stays there. And it just forms this negative energy that, that feeds our worries. It feeds that sort of sense of impending doom. It feeds that feeling that, you know, everything's going okay, but man, I just feel like something crappy's going to happen. Something terrible's going to happen. And it's a throwback to when you were a child and something crappy and terrible did happen. And you were powerless. You didn't know what to do. You were a child. You could be victimized. It could be something that, that, you know, say you were physically abused by a parent or a brother or a sister, or say you were assaulted when you were younger. Like this stuff gets trapped in our system. And when we're children, we blame ourselves. You know, no one goes to a nursery and, and looks at all the babies and goes, hey, you know what? That baby's a narcissist. That baby right there, narcissist, I can tell you right now. And that baby over there, I can tell by the way it's on its side. I'll bet you that's, uh, I'll bet you that's manipulative. I'll bet you that that baby's really manipulative. I'm, I bet you, I'll bet you anything. 
And that baby over there, that baby looks like uh, it's throwing up a little bit. Maybe it's got an eating disorder. That's what it is. It's got an eating disorder. So no one develops these things without trauma. The trauma in our lives create the negative alarm in our system. And then our mind, which is a meaning-making, make-sense machine, takes that alarm because it reads our body all the time. Our mind is reading our external and internal, internal environment all the time. And if it feels that alarm... It'll make, it's got to do something with it. It has to do something with that sense of alarm. So what the mind does is it makes sense. It's like, this feels terrible. So what kind of terrible story can I make up to make it make sense? Because your mind compulsively wants, especially in the left hemisphere, the left hemisphere, it wants to make sense so badly of what's going on. So we create, we create our own issues because we lose our own sense of innocence is what happens. We lose that sense that everything wasn't our fault. Because unconsciously, as children, if things go wrong in our household, we blame ourselves. Because we can't blame our parents because our parents are looking after us. Our parents are in charge of us. Our parents are feeding us and keeping us sheltered, hopefully. And if they are seen as less than perfect, we're not okay. So we have to make sure they're okay. And that's another way people-pleasing starts, is if your parent doesn't really take full care of you and, and doesn't look after the attachment between you and them, you will start taking over that attachment and you will start trying to look after them or give them what they need. And that's a very difficult precedent to come back from because we start feeling like we have to look after other people to get our own needs met. And there's a lot of people who grew up with like narcissistic parents and we do for them. I didn't have narcissistic parents. My dad was weird and strange and psychotic and ill, but I don't think he was particularly in his right mind. I think he developed a lot of sort of selfish behaviors to sort of keep himself alive, essentially. And so I became this people pleaser for him and... I became sort of a, kind of a, a humor. I, I looked after my mother by making her laugh. That's how I looked after my mother. I made her laugh, and then I kind of looked after my dad in a way, just making sure that he wasn't putting himself into positions that he was going to get taken advantage of, you know? Because he'd be fine for months and months and months at a time, and then he would go a little crazy, well, more than a little crazy, a lot crazy, and I had to keep an eye on him. So I kept this sort of hyper-vigilant focus on him, and if he wasn't okay, none of the family was okay. Because if I could see him starting to go into, you know, getting too happy, you know, and saying, oh, is he going into mania here? Or getting too sad, is he going into the, one of these psychotic depressions that last for weeks at a time? Or just plain losing touch with reality and believing he's a cat, or whatever. I mean, it was more of a joke, but it was true. You know, my dad was crazy at points, because he suffered extreme trauma as a child. So this is where it starts. It starts in childhood. And it starts with our, our experiences in childhood. And if, we have, if we're lucky enough to have an attuned parent that is attached to us, that is securely attached to us, and makes us feel that we're okay, we can metabolize this stuff. We, we can go through traumas because the parent is there to say, look, I know this hurts, I know this feels bad, but you know we're going to get through it together, you're going to be okay, 
that kind of thing. But what happens with a lot of us with anxiety is that we think that we have to do everything ourselves. We think that we have to do it all ourselves. And I have that too. And then we think, not only do we think we have to do it all ourselves, but we're basically eight years old when we, when we think we have to do everything ourselves because that was the time that we were traumatized or whatever age you were traumatized at. You know, there's a saying that says that, that whatever trauma you undergo, you will regress back to that age when it's triggered in you again. So if you were, say, hit by your mother or something like that, if you see violence on TV or you see someone getting hit or you get hit, you will go back to that being hit nine-year-old with all the wherewithal of a nine-year-old. But you don't know it. Your brain doesn't know that you're nine years old. That's the thing. When we get in fights with our, our partners and, and workers, and that we've regressed back to being nine years old or the time the trauma occurred. But we don't know it. We don't realize that we're actually operating at the level of a, an eight-year-old. We've regressed back to this time where we were powerless. We were at the effect of our lives, essentially. And then on top of that, we start adding the reason why. And then we start judging, abandoning, blaming, shaming ourselves. And then when we do that, we can't form a foundation of love. With me, I had a hard time trusting love. There's a reason why I was divorced twice. Because I would trust my dad, and he would be very loving and kind and nurturing. And then he would just basically disappear on me. I mean, he was in the house, but he would emotionally, mentally, physically, was, was not really there for me. So I got this thing that loving somebody isn't safe. And that was the theme that I kind of went through. And that's affected my relationships for most of my adult life. And until I realized what I was doing and became aware and stopped judging myself for being kind of standoffish or, or abandoning myself, you know, setting my, uh, alienating from myself and, and call, you know, basically calling myself out, like, why can't you commit? Why can't you be connected? It's like, well, I didn't get connection when I was a kid. So it's really hard to kind of artificially, after the fact, make the connection up and then blame myself. You know, you know, why can't you keep a relationship? Why can't you keep a relationship? What's wrong with you? You know, and then shame on top of that. So, you know, and that's, that's another <laughs> podcast already. You know, Dr. Kennedy shames. We'll, we'll, we'll do one of those. That'll be, that'll be a winner, that one. But basically to wrap it up, you know, no one's, no one's born a narcissist. No one's born uh, a manipulator. A, a manipulator? That's not a word. Manipulator. That's what I wanted to say. No one's born like that. It's the experiences of our lives that kind of make us have to develop accommodations because our attachment wasn't secure. We didn't feel like we could metabolize our trauma as children. And if we don't do that, it sits on us. And it sits on us as alarm. And that alarm goes up to our brain. And our brain makes us a story about that alarm. And whatever story that you have, that's what will feed your anxiety and your alarm. Because really, anxiety is machinations, worries of the mind. An alarm is the real source of our pain. Alarm is what got put into us when we were younger, when we felt helpless and powerless, and that energy had to go somewhere. So it went into our body, and we don't want to go back down there because it's painful to go back in a feeling town. So we stay in our heads. We worry. We ruminate. 
we, we carry on with these machinations of our mind to keep us out of this alarm in our body. And what I'm saying, and what I say in the book, is that we have to learn how to go back down there. We have to learn how to go back into the alarm. We have to go back into our body because the place has changed. We can change the furniture. We can change the alarm. And that's what the book is all about. That's how you heal from quote-unquote anxiety because anxiety isn't anxiety. It's alarm. And you have to fix the alarm. So that's my little rant. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. We'll do a we'll do an episode on Dr. Kennedy Shames at some point. That'll be that'll be a real winner. I think I'll love that. But we'll wait until I'm well into the podcast before I start doing that kind of stuff. So until then, don't believe everything you think. The stuff that your mind makes up is a story, and you are innocent. You if you see your innocence, you can avoid all these jabs that you take at yourself. Really, really see your innocence. And I will see you next time, hear you next time, talk to you next time, whatever we do on this podcast thing. Hey, it's Dr. Russ. Thanks for listening to this episode. And I hope you'll tune in the next time for the Anxiety Rx podcast.